Well, hello, church family. Uh, we are in chapter 33 uh, for today, and um, this is really the, the part where the story, uh, or rather the journey of Israel, um, continues to progress. Um, up until this point, Israel has been, you know, under the mountain of uh, Mount Sinai for days and days, waiting for God's instruction. Uh, for the last several chapters, uh, God gave them commands on how they're supposed to uh, worship Him through the the, the the Ten Commandments and the ordinance of the people, and even how they're supposed to take care of the land, the Sabbath rules. Um, and uh, everything from the temple, uh, not the temple, the tabernacle, into the tent. All of these things are particularly uh, are particular by the Lord, so that the people know how to uh, uh, worship the Lord. Uh, God is a particular God. He's supposed to be different from the rest of the gods. So then that's why God does all of these things. There are not just things that are supposed, that the priests do. There's what the priests will do in the present time, but there's will reflect a heavenly reality. And God is trying to teach them that. God tried to teach them genuine worship through the way uh, that he constructs all of these different, um, these little pieces uh, uh, as part of the worship uh, to him. Whether it's the consecration of the priests or what they need to do or even the uh, gold, the altars and the incense, these are all supposed to point them to a heavenly reality that there's something beyond them. That when they worship God, it is something that they need to take seriously. In chapter 32, this is uh, the part where they failed. Uh, they thought that Moses was gone. He was gone for seemingly a long time, which was about 40 days or so. And uh, people were scared and they were uncertain whether or not Moses returned. So they decided to go and make this golden calf. They asked Aaron to make something for them. And uh, we heard, we read, we went through that passage about just the folly of Israel, how um, whenever they sin, it was a reduction of who God is. They stopped worshiping the God on top of the mountain, but rather they worship the little idol that they made with their own hands. Uh, and Moses gets upset. He, he burns this entire thing and then puts it in the water and they're supposed to drink this. Uh, and it's supposed to basically come out of them the way that, uh, you know, the way the body works. And that's supposed to be a picture of how um, these idols are, that they are manure, that they are dung, that they are waste. Uh, but God is not like that. And there will be this contrast here. Now we see this here, chapter 3, the consequences of that. There are times in our Christian life that, that you're going to fall into sin, or you, or rather you choose to sin, that it is going to have some sort of ramifications. And the most natural ramification in the life of the Christian when they fall into sin is that they grow distant from the Lord. Uh, there's a natural uh, result. And it's not that God is moving away from us, rather we move away from the Lord. In our sin, in our pride, in our rebellion, we choose to flee from the Lord, and we choose to to follow uh, things that are against God. We flee from the Lord. That's why repentance, the way the Bible describes it, is to turn back to God. It's to turn away from your sin, at 180, and walking and pursuing Christ-likeness. We see the 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 effects of that in this chapter. Um, so we'll begin in chapter 33. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, depart. So again, this is now they're telling them to move. Now we're going to go away from the mountain. God's people were not supposed to be in the wilderness. They're not meant for that. It was uh, promised by the Lord that they're supposed to go into the promised lands, not just on the bottom of this hill. So he tells them to depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have 
brought up from the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to your descendants, I will give. I'll, get, I'll send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and Pezrites, and Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, and I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you in on the way. <clears throat> And this is a very interesting part because this is a, a warning that like God is going to give them a way to be uh, protected and to win. That is this angel. He's going to be kind of like a, uh, a represent his representative and his uh, he was his little deputy uh, to represent him to protect the people. But he won't dwell in the same way with them because of their sin. These are obstinate people, meaning that they're sinful. They're, they're even at this point, seeing all that happened to your Levi killing those that those three thousand that have felt have fallen. God can still see uh, that there is still sin in them, and in a lot of ways, this seems cruel, but it's actually part of God's divine mercy because He's limiting His presence. Because whenever there is a great sin, there's also great judgment that is to come. God sees the people. God sees that they are. Uh, sinful, and that if he was to be close to them, that would that would make it seem as though Yahweh is okay with sin. So God keeps this distance, and obviously God is omnipresent, so He's everywhere. But He, he there's this, there's this distance that they were going to experience. That's will be a picture for them to make them know that because of their sin, that's keeping them apart. Uh, and God limiting the, his presence is actually as a mercy because if God wants to get close to him, God will destroy all of them. Verse 4, when the people heard this sad word, and that is a sad word, isn't it? Whenever we fall into sin, we realize that we are, again, drawing ourselves away from the Lord uh, because of our own sin. There is natural distance. And like any relationship, whenever there's distance, it's, it's uncomfortable. I don't know if for all you people that are married, um, you understand this. When there's conflict between you and your spouse, it's a very uncomfortable situation. You want this to be resolved quickly. And the people of Israel, I don't think in this point they've really had that. They, they, they're just still kind of recovering from what they've seen. And you know, some of them still have some of these idol factories that are still making up little bales in their heart or golden calves. Um, but yet God sees through that. He tells them that, and I'm going to keep my distance so it's to spare you from you being destroyed. When they heard the sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. This is just like a traditional thing back then, where um, they didn't have any nice clothes, so you know, jewelry was was something that they had, and they didn't put those things on because that would be a, taking off jewelry means that they are not in a happy state. For Yahweh has said to Moses, "Say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you." Now therefore I put off your ornaments from you, and I will may and that I may know that I shall go do that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of the of the ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So again, uh, there's a distance here, and it's God showing them, it's trying to teach them this is the result of idolatry. That your it is going to be hard and it's gonna be a sad life when you live in your sin. And again, lesson for us. That we need to take sin seriously because ultimately it's a sever it severs our relationship and the closeness that we have with the Lord. Um, sin does that. Sin uh, corrupts. It, it destroys and, and eliminates um, the relationship that we have with God. We see this again back all the way back in Genesis. That's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve to the Lord. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought 
Yahweh would go out of the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about when, uh, whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. So just reverence here for Moses, and it's it's just, just interesting that um, the tent, the tent of meeting, it's it's away from the rest of the camp, and it's, it's again, it's will be a it's a, a physical way for them to see that there is a distance now. And again, it's not that like God is trying to run from them, but there's still uh, something going on in, in the life of Israel that there's because of their own sin, they're keeping, uh, they're not they 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 see that they're they're far from God, and they don't have a way to get to Him because of their own sinfulness and their hard heartedness. But they look at Moses and he they you know, they treat him with the respect. They all stand. It's almost like when a president walks in the room, you're supposed to stand and rise or some royalty. That's what's going on here when Moses goes to this tent of meeting. Whenever, uh, verse 9, whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of God would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of the tent. Thus Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So this is again shows that there's a unique relationship that Moses has. He's obviously uh, a priest in that way. He he intercedes for them. Um, people, uh, they there's this unique relationship. And Joshua was close by, not like he's like sitting in front, like with Moses or behind Moses during this whole thing. But he's in his own tent. And this I think was was a highlight that, and even a little bit foreshadowed that Joshua is going to replace Moses. Joshua at this point is probably like in his 40s or younger, and Moses at this point is probably around 80 years old. So he's a young man that's just you know doing his best to learn and glean from Moses from a distance, a safe distance. Verse 12, Then Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I, might, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this that this nation is your people. And this is a part I want to highlight here is verse 13. said, let me know your ways that I may know you. You have to understand that whenever we study scripture, it's not just an intellectual exercise for us to know um, things. It's every time we know God's word more, we actually know who God is is and, the, and and when we follow his command that we find favor that's how we find favor when we uh, know him we're blessed by it um, and this is what moses wants he wants to know god so that he can be close with god he wants to know how to be close with god so that the people of god would know how to be close with god because remember they failed uh god's law before this they didn't have the torah right they so they were doing all of these things it was all um God teaching the priests and Moses how the, the, the laws are supposed to be. They didn't have God's word at this point. Um, they only heard, they only based, they only had whatever they were told, and then uh, they have this kind of weak and immature faith. And Moses here is trying to find a way to learn how he personally could get close to God so that the people can follow suit as well. And this is pleasing to the Lord. And God said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. This is Moses really praying to God, like saying, look, if we can't, if you're not going to be with us, we're going to die. He's not making some sort of a threat to God. He's just acknowledging the reality that without God, they won't be able to make it. 
Verse 16, for how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not by you your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. And it gives us basically Moses just saying that how can we be distinct? How do how do the world know that you are the uh, the true God unless you come with us? How does uh, what made Israel special is actually not what they did or size of number or anything like that or even their victories. What made them special was Yahweh. Yahweh is what made Yahweh's people special, and we have to understand that that's how our life is as well. As a Christian, what makes us unique is actually not anything that about us, not our ethnicity, not where our life status is, not how much money we make. What makes us special in society is that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what Paul means in Philippians chapter 3 when he says that he lists all these different things that he has, but he sees all those things as rubbish when compared to the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. And there's a question that you need to have in your own uh, you need to think about like do you find yourself unique not because of your talents not because of your your abilities to do anything or your status but do you find that your identity in christ or in the lord matters more than anything else because god's people are, are only special because they belong to god and that's what the israelite is and that's what we are as well that we belong to him that now that's what makes us special verse 17 yahweh said to moses i will also do this thing of which you have spoken for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And Moses, I pray you show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and show compassion whom I will show compassion. Again, God's people are distinct because God chose them to be distinct. There wasn't anything unique about them, and he's going to reveal himself. He's, and he's shown himself multiple times. Uh, but Moses just wants to, wants to see God because he wants that assurance for himself. He wants to be close with God. Verse 20, But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come out while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this is that familiar passage where they see, uh, where Moses only sees like the back side. And in, in, in the Hebrew, this idea, of, or in the, yeah, the Jewish mindset, basically this word, you shall see back, so like see very, just so little, that's almost nothing. But that's enough for Moses to, um, to, to just remain faithful. And this is something that uh, we understand that when we read scripture, we, we're just getting glimmers of who, who our God is. And we will never fully know who uh, will never fully uh, gather all that we there is to know about God in Scripture. We can spend a lifetime knowing, and every time we learn just a little bit about our God, we delight in Him and we glorify Him in it, but there's no way that we can know everything about Him. There's just this finiteness to us and the, this magnitude of the Lord. We, we can, the, clo the Scriptures reveal to us who He is. We obviously can't see His face or His back, but God's Word is unique in that way, that it is a special thing to have God's Word. And that is because when the more you know God's Word, the more you know Him. And that's how we draw close to Him. Every time I do these podcasts, I, I, I realize how little I know about the Lord and how much I need to study God's Word. I mean, I've gone to seminary, I've been a Christian for a long time, and even studying this book, the second book in the Bible, now that I'm kind of just going through this for these podcasts, it just shows me how little I know about the Lord. 
and I trust that that's all all of us, right? We go to sermons on Sunday, we listen to sermons, we go to like fellowship groups, we have Bible studies, and it's always something new. Even if we go through a book that we are familiar with, there's no way that we can grasp all that there is to know about the Lord. That's why in the end of John it says that even in the life of Jesus, if we were to write, um, you know, if they were to document everything there is to know about Jesus and all the things that he's done, uh, though it will probably exhaust uh, all the pages that, are, that could exist in the world. That's how it is. We will never fully be satisfied because God is so great and infinite and there's only so much we can hold. But every time we learn something about the Lord, every little thing that we get, any sort of sliver of truth that it's embedded into our hearts and mind, we see a little bit about how great God is. That should cause us to desire Him more because we know how good our God is and we want to be close to Him. Sin draws us away. It keeps us away from the Lord. But God's Word and knowing in knowing God's word and applying God's word to heart draws us back to him. We're sanctified. We become more Christ-like because of his word. And I hope that that's what you, and I hope that this makes you cherish God's word more each day. That is not something, this is not just something that you have um, just for sake of reading. It's not some literature. It's way more than that. It's the revealed word of the living God for us to know the living God more. And I hope that this will encourage you to spend more time in God's Word, that you prioritize reading God's Word in your daily life if you want to know the Lord more each day. It's not based on some sort of experience. It's not based on some sort of um, conference you go to or even things that you do. But really, it's the, it's the, the mind engaging God's Word so they can change your affections to know Him more. That's it for today. I uh, hope that this is helpful for you this weekend. Uh, take care and have a blessed weekend. Thank you.